0: Hey everyone, it's Rago, and I'm back with Mind Rolling and I'm with uh, somebody new. We just met this second and uh, it's Oren J. Sofer and Oren, welcome to Mind Rolling. Thanks so much, Rago. It's good to meet you and I'm happy to be here. And I have met Oren through a mutual friend and colleague, uh, Sharon Salzberg, who you all know, who's on this Be Here Now network as well, and is a long, long, long. <laughs> we were just reaching back to remember just how long ago it's been that to uh, Sharon and I met, and Ramdas and Krishnas, and all of us in India back in the day. So, Oren has a wonderful new book. Your heart was made for this, and uh, as I look out as we all look out into the um extraordinary events that are going on in our world we kind of look and go our know, boy we're going to have to enlarge in that heart aren't we yeah excuse me and uh but who are you and where do you come <laughs> from <laughs> let's start there i usually yeah. ask people on about uh, how they realize that there was a path, basically, um, out of sure. uh, the, the kind of polarity that we grow into uh, in our earliest uh, childhood uh, days and uh, have a difficult time with, and, you know, more depending on, on the kind of uh, atmosphere that we grew up in with our family. And I know you had some difficult um, mm-hmm. times with your family, yeah. but yeah, just started, you know, in those days and how those difficult times actually eventually were a blessing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So, uh, I grew up in Jersey and North Jersey, um, middle-class family. Uh, both my parents were Jewish. Um, we had a dog and two cats and I've got a, an older brother and, uh, for many years had a very, um, really beautiful, blessed childhood. And, um, As you kind of alluded to there, at a certain point when I was around 10, one of my family members started suffering from mental illness, uh, actually had quite a dramatic psychotic break, and things turned upside down very quickly, you know, and I was still quite young and small and uh, found it all very frightening and just kind of went into what was my personality conditioning um, to be okay and to please others around me and to stay busy. And I got really good at staying busy. You know, I was kind of classic overachiever, straight-A student. Uh, I got in—we lived near New York City. I got involved with uh, acting and theater, and I was a childhood actor and was running all over the city, going to auditions and um, actually acting some in different, different productions. And things didn't really catch up to me until I was an undergraduate at Columbia in New York, and a whole bunch of events kind of came together. My parents were getting divorced. I had this big falling out with my friends, broken up with my girlfriend, and I was doing a lot of drugs. And something shifted inside. I remember the moment I um, actually felt my, okay. my belly and something very deep in my core kind of tremble. And it was like the tremor before an earthquake Mm. I I had this very clear palpable sense of this immense energy of emotions that I had been suppressing and avoiding for so many years. And I felt like I want to stop running and I want to know who I am. A good friend of mine, uh, at the times, uh, you know, said you've, uh, learn to be whoever anyone else wants you to be as an actor and, you know, as in your family, but you don't know who you are. And so...
0: A, a, you don't have to be an actor to go through that one.
1: No, not we at all, all. It's
0: We've all yeah, been there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I just got really <laughs> good at it through the acting. Yeah. Uh, yes. And uh, and so I was very fortunate to um, have been taking some classes in Asian religion, and I had the opportunity to go to India and to study uh, abroad in Budgaya at the Burmese Vihara uh, in a semester-long study abroad program. And so over there, uh, I met Anagarika Manindraji, who was towards the end of his life, and another teacher from Sri Lanka named Godwin Samaratne. Uh, And it changed my life radically. I I remember very clearly the first night in the Dharma Hall listening to Godwin talk about the four noble truths and having this feeling of coming home, like, Uh Oh, this is why I got born. And the sense that finally somebody was talking about things that I had always sort of sensed were true, but no one was talking about. Yeah. Uh And that, that was, that was the beginning. And, you know, I've, that was over 25 years ago and I've, been a deeply devoted dharma student and meditator ever since ah yeah
0: and you went there you were quite young no
1: yeah i was 19 at the time and uh fun f- fun fact uh hanuman Goldman, uh danny Goldman's son <laughs> yeah was on on the program that year and he and i are still still good friends yeah oh really? Yeah. oh that's yeah. great
0: he's amazing um well if we reach back from your first meeting there with Menindraji, D. Mm-hmm. And I go back to when we were first there. Mm-hmm. And I met him. I was introduced to him by Joseph Goldstein. Hey, and he played a, a seminal part in, in our lives. Many of us, many of us took teachings from him. Yeah. Uh, and in particular stuff, he Ramdas, I don't know if you know this story, but <clears throat> Ramdas, after he and a bunch of people, including Sharon, did the uh, they did like several months of Vipassana of retreat in a row. Yeah. Um so they asked Munindra if he would come and do a private retreat with them up in the Himalayas uh, in a place called Kosani. Uh-huh. And so he agreed to do it. And at that moment, uh, we had not been in touch with uh, Neem Karoli Baba because nobody knew where he was. He wasn't somebody who said, Here, I'll be here or there. Uh, so Ramdas went ahead with this whole program, uh, not knowing that he would Neem Karoli Baba would appear just after. Actually, it's a famous story how they went from the Dharamsala. <clears throat> in Bodh Gaya, and a whole busload of them. And Sharon yeah. always said, I don't know why, but I didn't get on that bus. Anyhow, they went and through this incredible circumstance of of Danny Goleman saying, oh, they're near Allahabad. oh, that's where there's these grounds that like billions of people get together and it's called the Kumbh Mela. Why don't we go visit there? And Ramdas is more thinking about a hot shower and some ice cream in Delhi. <laughs> so, he, oh, should we go here? Should we go? Because it was his that he had arranged for the bus, so he had "quote unquote" control, and he thought he had control. And but he said, "Okay, let's go," and they went. And it's a famous story that Neem Karoli Baba came with a devotee in a rickshaw at the moment that the bus arrived at this particular Hanuman Temple, that's famous in this on these grounds. And and they found that we called him He had said everybody get up six o'clock in the morning there's twenty seven Westerners coming we got to feed them and he went down found them and brought them back to another devotee's house so <coughs> that was that famous story but so he invited Munindra and we we uh, I had just Gotten. I mean, I was in India for a few months before we couldn't find Maharajah. I was actually at Sri Orbindo Ashram, and then we met. All of us met up in the foothills of the Himalaya uh, in the spring of '71, and uh, and I guess Ramdas, I he must have told Maharajah, well, we're going to have this incredible meditation teacher. He's going to come and teach us and we're going to be up in Kosani. Up and say, oh, great. Go do that. That's great. In the midst of it all, though, Manindra's, I think his mother got very sick. And so he canceled. He couldn't come. So the, the wonderful and horrible thing for Ramdas was he became the teacher, <laughs> right, which is the last thing. He didn't want to take care of us. He really didn't. He did yeah. that in America. He turned us on and all that but he didn't want to take care of us. Anyhow, that particular moment for me, he actually, Ramdas, because I had not yet gone to the course. I was, as I said, I was elsewhere. He taught me Vipassana. Uh, Just basic Anapana, you know. Sure. One-pointed meditation. And I had uh, the, the opening. I had an opening kind of like you did when we first went there, yeah. I had an opening, uh, an absorption opening, shall we say? That was extraordinary, and and started me off on on the path of meditation to this day. Of course, Vipassana is uh, a, a major part of uh, of my practice, and many others. Many of us went and did the course. Maharaja used to say, "You go into the course." He would just like get rid of us. He didn't care about what, to put. it was good. You go to the course. Anyhow, uh, so menindro was was a, a big part of of, yeah. of of that for us, and of course Koenga Yeah, leave yeah, him out. Yeah,
1: no, I feel very blessed to have met him towards the end of his life and to have had the chance to study with him. He's such an important figure in the lineage of insight meditation and really Buddhism in general here in the West.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this book, your heart was made for love. Yeah. <laughs> And I I quote you, for connection, belonging, and meaningful relationship with other people, beings, and the earth. Your heart was made to give and receive to know joy, purpose, and freedom. All of this is possible for you and for each of us, yet painful emotions, ignorance, and oppressive conditions disconnect us from our heart's potential. And here we are in this present moment, which is so, so difficult, to even grasp these words, as I said, in the very beginning, uh, boy, that heart's got to grow exponentially to be able to encompass the suffering that is going on right
1: now. What
0: led you to to even, you know, to consider this and how relevant is it now?
1: Yeah, thanks, Raga. Well, (laughs) in many respects, the book grew out of the really tragic and challenging events of 2020, was when I started writing the book after not just the pandemic, but George Floyd. And then we had those devastating wildfires out here in California. There was that day in September where we couldn't see the sky. It was this eerie orange, gray color. And as a meditation teacher, one of the ways I felt like I could contribute was to try to broaden the scope of what people think of as meditation or contemplative practice beyond Things like anapanasati or concentration to a skill set for life. And to try to talk about some of the capacities we have innately as human beings that we can strengthen, that we can cultivate, and that can then be uh, a resource for us in such painful and overwhelming times. Mm. So I, I do, you know, I do think the The book is sadly even more relevant now than than when I wrote it. Um, there's a little bit of a play on words there in the title uh, because in some respects i I don't think our hearts were made for for this, meaning this current historical moment. I don't think our hearts were designed to contend with the level of trauma and horror and the immense access to information that we have, the level of fragmentation and distraction we are subjected to on a daily basis. All of this is not what our nervous systems were designed for. So what the title really means to me is that our hearts were made to flourish. We, We are born with these immense capacities and this beautiful potential To contribute and grow and flower as human beings, if we receive the right nourishment and if we know how to water those seeds. And of course, the more we do that, the more we use our time every day in the simplest of activities to develop strengths, to recognize and deepen. Our ability to be balanced to be kind to be patient, um, the more we're actually able to respond and contribute to the crises that we're facing hmm. yeah,
0: and I think resilience is also a big part of what we need to acquire more absolutely of more spaciousness
1: absolutely and and yeah I, th- I think that the different sort of chapters and qualities that i'm I'm talking about are all different flavors of resilience as kind of the the menu or the prism that makes up what we call resilience, everything from courage to compassion to energy to curiosity and equanimity. Uh, You know, in terms of the the statement you made about kind of expanding our heart, expanding our capacity, I think for me, uh, this is... One of the areas that I grapple with, you know, in my own life, and my own practice that I talk about in the book, um, because there are so many conditions in our world today that that stretch us beyond our capacity, right? Whether, whether we're talking about the war in the Middle East that's unfolding right now as we record, or looking at the ecological crisis, or so many other factors we could point to. Yeah. One of the themes I come back to in different chapters, a chapter on equanimity, the chapter on devotion, uh, the chapter on compassion, is this potential that we have as human beings to move beyond ourselves, to move beyond the the limited experience and sense and definition of who we are. And for me, I think that these immense challenges that we're living through as a species um, really call on us to tap into a deeper resource and a wider sense of, of who we are. Because my experience, I don't know how it is for you, like my experience is there, there is a limit to what my heart, Warren's heart can hold. And these things are beyond that. But fortunately, that's not all of who I am. Right, and that when when I'm able to uh touch into something deeper, whether it's through awareness, whether it's through love or compassion, uh, or a sense of you know the interbeing of everything, there's something larger than me that is holding and that can hold all of this. Mm. yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Well there's a nice quote here that you shared from Manindra. Yeah. individuals make the family, families make a community, communities make states, and states make the world in a, in a perfect world. But it's, it's, it is reality, and it's, uh, it just goes back to the kinds of things His Holiness the Dalai Lama says about compassion in particular, that us moving forward into a, a more loving, compassionate, peaceful world, Depends on our mothers. <laughs> remember, I don't know if you've ever heard him.
1: I haven't, but it's very true. Our mothers and our fathers, I would say.
0: Yeah. Well, he particularly pointed to his mother and said, I am the way you see me, uh, compassionate. Mm. I have that because of my mother. She mm. instilled that.
1: That's beautiful. If
0: we can share that with yeah. mothers going forward, uh, this will change. This will be the, yeah. um, a major change in the world. And... uh. I think so it takes a lot of different parts. And we talk about family. Uh this is something that we were um bequeathed, shall we say, in India when we were first there. I mean, you know, all in our well, kinda like you. You went over there, you were nineteen or something. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we were between eighteen and twenty five, except for Ramdas, who was fifteen years older than most of us. And we were immediately uh Absorbed into an Indian, into several Indian families, people that were close. They were interpreting for us with Nimkaroli Baba or whatever that might be, teaching uh, all of uh, the ladies how to cook yeah. Indian food. I mean, we were just absorbed into something that, in my life, I had not experienced, and I, I'm thinking most of us did not. Uh, the hey, the way the family is is such a central point. Now it is. For many people, still, and you know, it's uh, it's just warped. I mean, the one yeah. I was in was warped. It was yeah. so. I mean, a father who was had PT. My father had PTSD uh-huh. from the war, uh-huh. and my mother you know, lost her father when she was very young, so she had her own sort of PTSD. So we it was not that livable. I mean, I do know people who had, you know. Very wonderful, yes, but
1: it's rare. rare. It's very rare. It really is. Yeah. And
0: I, you know, even and and with you, whether I would say there was more consciousness in in the time that you were going through all of this family stuff. Yet, in the midst of it, yeah, some a th- karma took place with uh, with your brother, absolutely, and, and affected everyone really deeply. Now, not to say, of course, this happens in India too. In all families, there's all you know. Dukkha is there, trouble is there, suffering is there.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. But
0: there's a way in which they interact with it that's way different yeah. than the way we do. Yeah. It's less isolated, less feeling of separation, less all of right. those things.
1: Yeah. There's, there's two, two things you're, you're pointing to that I love to kind of riff off a little here. Uh, One is, you know, I talk about in, I think it's part th- three of the book how important our relationships are in our life. And this is something, as you know, that the Buddha really emphasized in terms of the company we keep and how that affects our life, our spiritual practice. So um, many of us uh, have complicated families of origin um, mixed, you know, strengths, gifts, blessings, and then also challenges and pain and liabilities. So, you know, who we surround ourselves with as adults and in our lives, is so important. And I know, you know, I've been so blessed to have contact with not only wonderful teachers like G and, and Joseph and Sharon, but also to have uh, Kalyanamita, spiritual That's... friends, you know, companions on the path who, uh, you know, who I respect, who care, we care for each other, we support each other. Um, so that's one one piece in terms of the families and that experience you're pointing to of being welcomed and included in in a community and how, how healing that can be for so many of us. The other thing I want to come back to is kind of ironic that you pull out that quote from Menninger from the introduction because, um, in fact, I I share that quote in a certain way to to challenge him and and that theory which although it is quite beautiful and has, I think, one level of truth to it, um, I think it's also flawed and limited for the kinds of issues that we're facing today. The the underlying message is, if we all do our individual healing work, that the world will change because the world is made up of individuals. And absolutely may it be so that we all (laughs) have the conditions and the support to do
0: that. It seems a reach right now. Yes, I understand. It, it does.
1: <laughs> you know, the, the two the two key things I point to are around that and challenging it, and it may have been more viable or true at the time, you know, that Menindra was teaching. Um, one is, of course, the ecological crisis is unfolding at a pace that doesn't allow us that t- luxury of time. Yeah. Right? Uh, individual change moves too slowly, I think. The other factor is um, you know systemic uh, conditions, whether we're talking about the economy, whether we're talking about structural racism and violence, whether we're talking about the prison industrial complex or the war and the military and how that's tied up with with uh, capitalism these these are forces that um, kind of have a life of their own and that need to be addressed mm-hmm. from what I have learned on a structural and a systemic level. So what, one of the things that I explore in the book and another purpose for writing it in me, one of my own purposes in writing it was to really grapple with this question. For those of us who uh, have such a interest in the mind and the heart and the inner life, what is the role that that plays in the transformation of our world When there is this other um, pressure of both the urgency of time and also the insidious nature of structural conditions, how do we leverage what we know and what we learn and what we develop through contemplative practice on on that larger level? And the whole book, in some sense, is a meditation on that and an exploration of what are the specific facets of our heart that are relevant and how do we apply them in this way so yeah. that our practice can be in service of a, of a better world. Got it. Yeah, how, how's that land for you? What's yeah. it bring up for you?
0: Well, I can be in one moment more positive and uh-huh. one more in one moment cynical yeah. about where we're at. I mean, as we all know? go through uh, what we're going through right now. But I do ascribe. I mean, Ram Dass was a huge proponent of change. Earth. Your insides, from there, you'll be able to radiate what the, all of the, the wondrous things that a heart can share. Yeah, and I I do ascribe to that. Uh,
1: Absolutely, more than
0: my positive moments. You know, uh, when you're not reading the news or whatever else, um, and at the same time. It's interesting. I did a podcast uh, with an old friend of mine recently, uh, we did something around this book on the yugas, you know, the Hindu thing, mm-hmm. the sure. you know, the the the, the time spaces and the first... that are created over large spans of time. Eons, so right? Eons. Eons. Well, two hundred and fifty thousand years. <laughs> so that's pretty good.
1: Um,
0: but it was, you know, and I always poo pooed it. But we went through it. It had such insightful things. And one of the main things that it did, it gave a much larger perspective. These things have been going on cyclically for a long time. And it's not like you get a, we're in the Kali Yuga and yeah, next, oh, it's terrible. And then next Yuga is going to be, oh, wow, Drupa I think is what's next. It's going to be great. You know, it's not like that. When's it supposed
1: to arrive, Raghu? Exactly. That's what I was saying to
0: (laughs) But the reality is, uh, one of the most insightful thing in this particular book was the fact that there is an interaction. Everything, every individual does, every karma they create, every karma they reap, everything has an action and a reaction, and we as a... Yeah a worldwide community on this earth affect what it is that is to go on in terms of uh, the negative and the positive and so on. Yeah. And and just so it backs you up a little bit so that, you know, we aren't, it was great because it it led me to go, okay, you know, this, this is really awful, horrendous. And uh, what's going on is very hard for the heart to even acknowledge. And uh, at the same time, we have gotten through this before. We will continue to get through it. Yeah. Now, if there's another piece to this, and you know, mainly we the the most outstanding piece is the ecological piece. It is so um, yeah, seeming rampantly out of control in terms of what we have done and and uh, the abuse we have created, and who knows what. That's all about, it. but uh, yeah, yeah, that's my take on it.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you, know, you talked about pessimism and optimism, and I certainly can go to both places. And one of the things I try to come back to is just the sense of realism. You know how how can I be realistic? And I I love that you brought in the cosmology of, of uh, ancient India and this broader perspective. And the way it, it does um, come back down to the choices that we make today, um, which is one of the things I talk about in the book, is the sense that the future isn't written. It's not. And mm. it's, it's built by the choices we make individually and collectively every day. And so, you know, the sense of um, the transformation that's possible in a human life through all kinds of, of means and mechanisms, um, it positions us, I think. You know, the more the more we understand and embody kindness, compassion, clarity, wisdom, equanimity, balance, courage, integrity, uh, I think the more leverage we have to work for change. And I, I'm a firm believer in the sense of... Um, that we each have our own path, and and that there's no there's no one thing we should all be doing. You know, Why? I I I I think that the those of us who are devoting our time and energy to raising children with the the kind of compassion and empathy that the Dalai Lama was referring to are doing really important deep work for our world. There you Even as those who are advocating for policy yeah. change in the halls of Congress or you know, trying to stop clear cutting and strip mining are doing really important work for future generations.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And,
1: and and all of us, all of us doing that work, you know, we need we need nourishment, we need sustenance. Um, so you know, to come back to this this theme we've we've been weaving through of the the darkness, the difficulty um, is really important to celebrate. I think and to, to experience joy. Just last night, we had a friend over for dinner, and uh, we were watching a teaching about about uh, the conflict in Gaza and Israel. Very heavy, very, uh, you know, very heavy messages and really important uh, content from the speakers. And throughout the process, our 13-month-old son was running up and down the living room you know, shouting and jumping on the couch and laughing mm-hmm. and cuddling and tickling. And it was just this beautiful, poignant juxtaposition mm-hmm. between the devastation and the heartbreak and the joy and vitality in the moment. And it's like our our wow. friend said, it's like, there's no one else I'd rather be watching this with right now. This is, cool. you know, this is making it possible for me to take this in.
0: Mm, that's a great... Uh observation great point actually yeah Uh, and that is such a truism and i go back to Menindra's thing that we say maybe (laughs) a little out of reach considering what our times are yeah the family going back to the family going back to uh, as the buddha said out of the the three refuges uh sangha Mm -hmm. community yeah was number one However, he said that, right? Yeah. So, and that's, it's yeah. truly yeah. been my experience over all these decades. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of w- w- that which brings heartfulness is community. Yeah. Is, it's just this uh, common experience. And uh, we do a meditation in, I should say, Mirabai Bush. I don't know if you know. I know Mirabai, that. sure. You know yeah. Mirabai. Yeah. Yeah. So Mirabai does a beautiful meditation, in uh, the last day of the retreats that we we ran in in Maui with Ramdas all these years, and we're doing it again at the end of this at the end of November here.
1: Oh yeah, yeah,
0: just like me, people right. sit and just gaze at each other, and there's a set of you know circumstantial questions and answers that people give to each other right yeah yeah and but just to to show yes you are just like me yeah and the more that we can do that of course the more that we can consider that the family idea from manindra Mm -hmm. is a workable Mm -hmm. situation Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't lead to states changing the kind of leaders that have put put um, extreme pressure on us as people you know
1: yeah well, I mean, I, I'm familiar with his his that meditation. It's very very powerful one. It's one that I I use in my my work also when I uh-huh. teach com- communication and empathy. Yeah. And I think there's so much wisdom in it because you know if we if we look at um programs throughout history and throughout the world of peacemaking and reconciliation whether it's it's the work that peace groups are still doing uh, between Israelis and Palestinians, or the work that's been done in areas like you know Rwanda, the genocide that happened there or in oh. bosnia herzegovina it's it's all based upon developing empathy and starting to see the, the, what we per, who we perceive as our enemy as a fellow human being. you know I, I watched a documentary, Ragu uh, recently on the Oslo Accords. Just hmm. going back through some of the history and, you know, trying to understand, you know, where have we been and how did we get here? And one of the things that really stood out to me about the peace process, um, I think the name of the movie is called The, the Oslo Diaries, and it's uh, hmm. it told from the diaries of the mediators and negotiators who uh, really. originally got in touch with each other under the radar, Um and started to develop relationship the turning point in the initial negotiations was when the two sides were able to agree on the importance of mutual recognition hey. that the palestinian authority recognized the right of Israel to exist in security, and the Israeli side recognized the right of the Palestinian people to a state. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. the, just this mutual recognition, which is what is based in empathy, is based in seeing the humanity yeah. of the other. So that, just like me, meditation, I think is is uh, important medicine mm. for yeah. our time. Abs-
0: absolutely, I mean, obviously on a much larger scale. Right. Uh, it doesn't scale up. Let's put it that way. And- it does not
1: it doesn't. You know, I mean, I, I've i been talking about this with some of my friends in the nonviolence movement. I have some colleagues who do work in the prisons and do yeah. something called pris- victim-offender dialogues is the technical name for it. I talk about it in, in the book, and the chapter on empathy. And they bring together um, uh, people who've been sometimes convicted for murder and family members of those who were murdered, for healing dialogues. Yeah. And it's possible, you know, it's uh, it takes a lot of preparation, it takes a lot of support, but um, one of the things that Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of Nonviolent Communication, was a big proponent of, I know that Thich Nhat Hanh, talked yeah. about before he died, was uh, the need to um, televise these kinds of transformations and healing relationships. Because yeah, how do we scale it? As you pointed, there's not enough time or resources to do this kind of healing on an individual basis for everyone. Mm-hmm. But with media, with the technology that we have, we can broadcast it. And there's something profound that happens when we witness another human being's healing and transformation. And so yeah. I, I do think there's a possibility there.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. You know, at, at the risk of uh, uh, kind of directing <laughs> directing our conversation too much, I want to come back to Manindraji and uh, another favorite story of mine uh, of his that you've undoubtedly heard, but not sure if listeners have. Um, some of your colleagues, I'm sure, were uh, with him in Bhutgaia. I was not there it was before my time, so yeah. Joseph, Sharon, others were with him in Budgaya, and somebody asked him, you know, Manindra, why do you meditate? Why do you do this? And his answer startled him. He said, I meditate so that when I'm walking into town, I don't miss the little purple flowers by the side of the road. <laughs> no, I don't know that. And so, you know, just again coming back to this, the, you know, as we talk about the heaviness of our world today, the importance of of joy and beauty and gratitude and celebration and and being able to not overlook the goodness that's present um, in our own hearts and our lives and around the world, you know, one of the things that's carrying me through this time uh, is remembering all of the people who are brokenhearted over what's happening, all of the people who who want peace, who are who are calling for a different way forward. Because if you look at the news, you you don't hear that, but it's happening. Yeah. Uh, it's important for me not to overlook that.
0: Yeah. I liked something in the book that uh, takes takes it all down to us as individuals. Yeah. Uh, dealing with our day-to-day, which is my favorite subject, and
1: mm-hmm. dealing mm-hmm.
0: with Mr. Me-Me, <laughs> 24-7. I just did a, a, an audio book that just came out, the movie of me to the movie of we. That's um. something who I think you know mm-hmm. who that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, He talks about it. Uh, You wake up in the morning, you're the protagonist, the writer, the director, the producer. In fact, you even write your own reviews (laughs) 24-7. And, you know, so my friend Duncan Trussell is another podcaster and I got together. And uh, over years, just different chats, you know, and they reflect different times in our lives as we were going through all of this process. But here's one you mention, uh, you say, fortunately, it doesn't take a major life event to begin tending the heart. The next time you're doom scrolling or caught in a mental loop, consider how to spend your time and energy. Or as it's funny because we made a comment in in this audio book that we did, uh, you know, Wake up, you know, at one o'clock in the morning after your gummy bear has hit and you're scrolling and buying shit off Amazon all night. That kind of a thing. Um, So are you oppressed by the habits of your mind, pulled along by negative rumination, subjected to whatever topic, happens to have been planted in your feed by the latest headline or advertisement on social, right? With practice, you can change the channel, choosing where you place your intention instead of having it chosen for you. That's a crucial, it seems like just a throwaway, fun little thing, but to me it's absolutely crucial because it's what's going on because of our self-obsessive, obsessive nature that has been completely supported by... Every you know, the expansive movement of digital media, yeah. and now AI. I mean, it's really uh, quite something. Um, but I th- what caught me was change the channel, yeah, they were, they that were, we really all have that opportunity. And um, yeah. Ramdas did a, th- a wonderful thing many decades ago, I think, um, about. Uh, okay, here's the channels,
1: yes, and he equated
0: yes. the channels to the chakras, and this is the channel of security, and this is the channel of lust, and so on. And But you can flip those channels, and you get into a channel, and then later in his life, which was uh, interesting that uh, it was a play on a Buddhist term, instead of loving kindness, it was loving awareness. Right. In fact, Jack has uh, taken that over Mm -hmm. since then. Yeah. And, you know, many of uh, our friends loved it. And uh, it's from that place of no judgmental thing, starting with oneself, that uh, that change of heart can really uh, take hold.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more that... um, it's essential. It's foundational. And it's why that's in the first chapter, why the first chapter is about wise attention and developing this capacity to be aware of our attention and to make more conscious choices about uh, where it's going. And I, I would even go further and say it's not just that, you know, the it's being supported, this sort of self centeredness and unhealthy habits are being supported by technology and social media. I'd say they're being it's being actively exploited. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Co-opted and profited off of, and so you know, where I use the analogy of um, farmers fighting for the rights to their seeds, it's like we're spiritual warriors in a battle for the right to our own attention in relation to technology and uh, and the media, Mm. and so it's it's. Essential that we develop the capacity to reclaim how we use our attention and where we place it if we want to have any leverage over how we live our lives.
0: Yeah. Let yeah.
1: alone shape super. our world in a different way.
0: Yeah. No, super, super important. There's, uh, I think you've mentioned that there's, uh, you've kind of put together different chapters renunciation, courage, and so on merci, and so merci. forth uh, there's one thing here uh, around courage which is extremely important and um, so much so that uh, this is a story I've told a billion times but I know I don't think you know it so I'll share it with you and it's so important one could hear it a billion times um, Krishna Das was in, in uh, with Neem Karoli Baba somewhere in in Mumbai actually and he, used, uh, he would come by and visit Krishnadas in, in his hotel. Anyhow, he was with, with an Indian man who was interpreting, and uh, suddenly he blurts out to Krishnadas, Courage is an, very important. So the translator who translated that actually said to Maharaj, Neem Karoliba, Well, wait a minute you now. That's kind of like an an action you do for yourself, but this is all about guru's grace, this whole tradition, bhakti yoga, right? Maharaji right, didn't say a word to him, turn back to Krishna and, and emphasize again, courage is really important. Krishnas, for the rest of his life to this day, whenever there's any kind of uh, negative circumstances or, or so on, he, he has that to fall back onto what it completely means relative to connecting to the deeper part of yourself and being able to have the spaciousness to uh, work with a situation in its most simple way. And um, in the book, though, your book, um, you mention something that I think people miss that's really important. I'm glad you, you wrote it. A great myth about courage is that it means not feeling afraid. That is so true. But in fact, far mm-hmm. from being the absence of fear, courage is the willingness to be present and vulnerable, meeting what is happening with an open heart in spite of fear. Very good, Oren. I, I love that.
1: Mm, thanks, Raghu. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it I takes. Mean, tr-
0: especially today, Mike.
1: Right. Yeah, no, it takes tremendous courage to be awake in our world today, you know. Uh, My wife came to me a little over two years ago. We're both in our 40s. We've been together almost 10 years now. And she said, I think I want to have a kid. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when we got together, we talked about it. We were both in our 30s and... We were both on the fence. We were both sort of like, Well, you know, I'm okay. Maybe if if you really wanted to, I could probably be talked into it. But, you know, I'm not I don't it's not it's not top of my list to have children. So you know well, you were the, a monk too, right? I was, I was. This is right after actually I left being a monk. Um so you know, the default there was that we would not have children. And so um it took me by surprise. You agreed when you got <laughs> together? Well, it wasn't a kind of explicit agreement, but we talked it over. You know, we want to see, are are we on the same page here? Because if we're not, that's, you know, it's important to know going into the relationship with open eyes, are we aligned with our priorities? And we were. Uh And so this was a change. This was a shift. And one of the qualities that um, was really necessary for me in saying yes and walking through that door with her was Courage
0: uh uh-huh.
1: You know, was the the courage um to bring new life into a world that is so profoundly uh challenged, as well as the courage to open myself to the excruciating vulnerability of loving another being that ultimately I cannot protect or control. And so I, I think it it takes courage to um to love, because to love is to risk losing that which we care about. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. That happened to me. Uh, uh, I'm not, I didn't lose my child, but mm. I came really close. He got just over a year older spinal meningitis. Oh, gosh. And rushed yeah. to a hospital. We were in New Mexico and, uh, geez, I mean, to sure? this day, I experience that horrible, sinking, awful <sighs> feeling. You have no way of dealing with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. God my wife, who's the mother of our children, although we're not together that way, uh, she had. Tremendous courage
1: mm-hmm. and
0: singularity yeah. of purpose in terms of of really opening herself up in one way to the pain, awesome. and in another way, converting that into positive energy and sending that into this child, this baby. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Fortunately. Um, we had some great family in India. I can hear somebody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. He's uh, yeah. R- r- run around outside there.
0: Yeah. Fortunately, with this great family we had and a lot of prayers. Prayers do work, everybody out there, by the way, on every level. Mm. That vibration is as real as a, as a thought in your head that you think is real. <laughs> Maybe not real. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but um, I actually... I went to stay at a friend of mine's after you know a few days of this horror in the ICU of children. I mean, that's like yeah. the worst. Yeah, Uh And uh, Neem Karoli Baba came to me in a dream and said he'll be okay. Oh, wow, and yeah. And I went in the morning, he woke up. Wow. And so, you know, we, yeah. we had that wonderful feeling yeah. of being taken care yeah. of, and we were taken care yeah. of. But the... Uh, I think I failed the courage test in the moment that that happened. Mm-hmm. I remember being so out of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's easy to say this stuff and something else to enact it. And the only way is to practice. Yeah. yeah. You can't get away from it.
1: That's right. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad you bring up this theme of courage because I, I do think it's, um, what all of us are being called to in a certain way today, you know, is to have the courage to stay present, right? To not shut down completely. It's I, I just published a piece, you know, it's important to shut down sometimes. I think our hearts need rest. We, yeah. need, to, we need to turn away. We need to give ourselves permission to, to take breaks and and shut off, um, but always with that intention of coming back. And yeah, you know, I, I, I certainly can't, can't see the way forward or where we're going, but I, I do want all of us to have the courage to stay present and to just take the next step, which sometimes is all we could do. Yeah.
0: What did you, you just said you wrote an article?
1: Uh, yeah, just, uh, just my blog, just, just uh-huh. sharing some tips about, you know, how do we, how do we get through this time? Where, what are our resources, you know, and just allowing the heart to close was one of the first things that I, I talked about. Ah. Giving um, ourselves that space.
0: Well, I'd love to, and our listeners, I'm sure, would love to see this too. So send me a, a link, and then we'll get it. Uh, get the uh, the the people who put this all together on Be Here Now Network to put a link in there for for that sure. blog, and as well, of course, the book. Sure so thing. You'll yeah. be able to catch all of that. You know, I thought, being that you're a meditation teacher, yes. that you would give us a little bit. Of, you know, a uh, Five minute meditation would be would, fabulous, or and an I, I would be happy. I to. hate to be so bossy and producery, which is what I am. <laughs> but at, around ease, I I mm. love that that whole concept. Yeah. That, that's very prominent. Well, it's a chapter in the book. Yeah, um, yeah, something Definitely. around that. I think it's what people could really use today. Sure,
1: sure, sure. Yeah, maybe we can wrap it up here and offer lead a meditation and. And um, time time for me to go take care of my son. Yeah. Sure. So, um, you know, let yourself get comfortable. Uh, roll your shoulders, take a deep breath. Just whatever helps, uh, helps the folks listening to um, shift gears, you know, kind of put things down and turn your attention inwards. I like to close my eyes. You might want to just gaze down at the ground in front of you. And maybe just to first to feel the weight of your body and the contact with the ground. Just notice the places your body is touching the earth. And feel the pressure there, the steadiness of that contact. And see if you could tune into the experience of being supported by the ground something solid. There's something stable beneath you. That's holding us up that we can rest on. We can lean on. And how would it be to let your whole body just receive that sense of support? There's letting, letting every cell and every tissue rest into that stable, steady ground beneath us. So with each breath, with each moment, giving the weight of your body to the earth, letting it hold you. However you're doing in this moment, whether you feel relaxed or keyed up, just remembering that your experience is entirely natural and normal. Just like the weather, it changes. How can we invite some ease into this moment? One way of doing that is to remember a time or a moment that you felt ease or even to think of something that represents ease for you an image of the waves of the beat of the ocean crashing on the beach the sound of the wind blowing through the leaves and the trees sun setting anything real or imagined that evokes a felt memory of ease in your body right here and now. Using this memory or this image, making it as clear and vivid as possible, And then just letting yourself receive it, seeing if you can allow your breath to flow a little bit more easily, just letting it come and go, softening or relaxing the jaw, allowing yourself to be carried, to be supported And remembering that you can come back here anytime you need. It's always available in the present moment. Like a cool breeze on a hot day. Remembering your capacity for ease. And then whenever you're ready, slowly letting your attention shift. Coming back to the space where you are, letting your eyes open. All right.
0: Thank you so much, Oren.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah. Everybody, you'll get connected with Oren through the show notes on Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network go to beherenownetwork.com and uh, also take advantage of Sharon Salzberg and what she does is phenomenal on her podcast so we'll we shall see you next week and again thank you thank you thanks Raghav